0: Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And so we shouldn't be surprised on that first Easter day when Jesus appears to the disciples that there would be some, some strange things happening. I mean, to start with, did you catch this? It says that the disciples are gathered together and the doors were locked. They were locked up themselves. And then it says, Jesus came and stood among them. Well, how did he get in there? Jesus, in his resurrected body, apparently, is able to pass through walls. Pretty cool. A little bit strange, but again, a guy rising from the dead is also a little bit strange. You might expect some of these things to happen. But there's a couple of details in particular. I know some of you are like, oh, I wanted to preach about Thomas. I wanted to to talk about doubting Thomas, that sort of thing. We'll save that for another year, okay? (laughs) Okay. Because there's a couple of things in the first half of that gospel that are really worth dwelling upon and illuminating. The first thing is this. Jesus speaks to his disciples. His first word that he says to them is, Peace be with you. But then he says it again. Peace be with you. And then next time when Thomas is there, first thing he says to them, Peace be with you. And you're wondering, is he like one of those toys with the string that you pull out that's broken? Like, Jesus, can you say anything else here? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Why are you repeating this over and over and over again? And if that weren't strange enough, he goes on to breathe on the disciples. John's careful to mention that. Jesus whoosh, breathed on the disciples. Well, what's this about? case of holy halitosis here? What is this that Jesus is breathing on the disciples? No, there is some profound significance to both of these details. It has a lot to do with how we as the church and individually as Christians live into the mission of God. But for us to, to capture the full weight of what happens in today's gospel, we need to zoom out a little bit. And get a bigger picture here. In fact, we need to go back in time in the scriptures to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1. You guys know this. He created the heavens and the earth and he said it was good. And he made flora and fauna, all sorts of critters, creepy crawling things, things down in the water, things up in the sky, things on the land. God saw all of them and he said that it was what? Good. Over and over and over again, God creates this beautiful, marvelous, wondrous creation and says, it is good, it is good, it is good. Indeed, at the end of it, at the culmination of it, it says, it is good. Very good. I love the Hebrew phrase for it is tov ma'od. God looked on all that he had made and said, hmm, tov ma'od. It is very good. Hebrew has another word to describe the state of affairs as we see it in the beginning, at creation. And that's a word, a Hebrew word, that I think many of you are, are probably familiar with. It's the word shalom. You've heard the word shalom before. It usually gets translated as peace, right? But that's a real insufficient idea. See, shalom is not simply um, peace of mind. Shalom is not just a, a ceasefire between warring parties. Shalom is much richer and meaningful than that. Uh, from the biblical perspective, shalom is, is wholeness and flourishing. It's it's delight in what God has made and what he is doing. One author puts it this way, Shalom is the way things ought to be. It's the way that things ought to be in that kind of comprehensive fullness and flourishing and joyful delight. That's Shalom. So God creates this beautiful, good world that is ordered by Shalom. And he's not done yet, right? Right? He needs someone, he needs a creature to oversee this creation of his. And so you remember this story, he he gets down and he's playing around in the mud, right? He he takes a mud pie and then he does the strangest thing. Takes that dirt and does what to it? He He breathes into it. Breathes into that dirt and it became a man, right? became Adam. And in fact, the Hebrew name Adam, man, comes from the Hebrew word Adama, which means ground. Adam came out of the Adamah. God breathed his breath of life into the ground and brought forth this living creature, Adam. And Adam, along with his helper Eve, would be the crown of God's creation. They would be, if you will, instruments of shalom. The ones who are hard to oversee this good world of God's. To see to it that it continues to abide in that shalom for which he originally made it. But if you know your scriptures at all, that lasted for about that long. (laughs) And we typically call that the fall into sin. Say, well, what is sin? Sin is commonly defined as lawlessness. It's breaking God's laws, his rules. And that's true. But I would say that it's, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Um, Cornelius Planiga is the, or used to be the, the president at Calvin College down in Grand Rapids. And he gave a definition of sin that has stuck with me. He says, sin isn't just rule breaking. Sin is vandalism of shalom. Sin is vandalism of shalom. Sin is taking God's good world, God's good creatures, and graffitiing it, going contrary to his intentions for the world and for each of us individually. When you and I fall into sin, it's not simply that we break God's rules, but it's that we vandalize the good intentions that he has for us, that he has for each and every one of us individually and corporately and as his creation. It's defacing his good world. It's rule-breaking, it's law-breaking, but it's more than that. And this is the situation that our Lord Jesus stepped into. A world wracked with sin. A creation whose shalom had been utterly vandalized. This is why Jesus came. See, one way of understanding the accomplishment of Easter, it's one way, is to look at it as Jesus, through his death and resurrection, restoring shalom to creation. The scriptures say in Ephesians 2, it says that Jesus himself is our peace. And I think with ears attuned to the biblical message, we hear that this is Jesus is our shalom. The book of Colossians says that Jesus, by his death, has reconciled all things in heaven and all things on earth, thus making peace, making shalom. See, Jesus comes into this world whose shalom has been vandalized. It's it's like the ultimate extreme makeover. See, all the walls are destroyed. It's not just that the plumbing is off and the roof is coming off, but that this place is utterly destroyed. Christ gave himself into death and rose again from the dead in order to restore shalom to creation. That shalom way of being for you and me to relate to our Heavenly Father and also within His world. All right then, so let's go back to today's Gospel reading with this perspective and this understanding of God's original shalom intentions and how it was there at creation and how Jesus, through redemption, restores that shalom. He's repeating over and over again to the disciples, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you, and he's breathing on them of all things. What's happening here? See, When he's saying, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you, what would he have been saying to the disciples? Jesus didn't speak English, of course, and didn't even speak Greek, the language of the New Testament. He spoke Hebrew, or more specifically Aramaic. What would he have said to the disciples? Shalom lachem. Shalom lachem, shalom lachem, peace be with you, shalom be with you. Jesus is saying it over and over and over again. He's like a kid on Easter who's just so excited, running around, yelling out, shalom, 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 because shalom is the watchword of God's kingdom. It's the distinguishing mark of the new creation, what Jesus has accomplished through his death and his resurrection. He can't help but keep saying it over and over again to them. Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. But then what about the breathing? Why does he he breathe on them? Well, think back to the first creation. When God breathed into that dirt clod and made of it his human creatures who would be his vice-regents, his viceroys, his deputies, to oversee the shalom of his world. Jesus breathes on the disciples, and it's the same word that's used in Genesis 2 in in the Greek translation. It's a very specialized word. He breathes on them his spirit. Now he is recreating us, making us new, and sending us out in the power of the Holy Spirit to be what? to be instruments of shalom. Instruments of His peace. Maybe that phrase rings a bell for some of you. There's a, a common prayer sometimes called the Prayer of St. Francis. You ever heard of this? Prayer of St. Francis. It's attributed to St. Francis probably wasn't written by him, but that's neither here nor there. Prayer of St. Francis begins with this. Lord, make me an instrument Of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is discord, let me sow peace. Where there is sin and error, let me sow forgiveness. And on and on it goes. The the prayer is that we might be what God has created and recreated us to be. Instruments of His shalom. Well, what does that mean and how is it done? Well, to be an instrument of, of shalom means that in Christ, And by the power of the Spirit, we seek to bring the blessings of redemption to bear in our relationships and in our community. I'll say that again. To be instruments of shalom means that in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we strive to bring the blessings of redemption to bear on our relationships and in our community. In other words, Christ, through his death and resurrection, has won the once-for-all salvation for all mankind. And now he sends out his church to announce and to enact that good news to the world, to bring that shalom to bear in our communities, in our relationships, in our individual lives, and in our, in our life together as the church. But how is that done? That's always the tougher question. How is that done? Well, most foundationally, It happens, just as Jesus says, through speaking forth his word of forgiveness. Our shalom with God comes about because of the forgiveness that Christ has won for you and for me. And when you and I speak that forgiveness, when we speak God's forgiveness into the lives of others, we are enacting that shalom. We're being instruments of his peace for others. But it also radiates out from there. And I think it can be understood even more broadly as we bring these blessings of redemption to bear in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, showing and sharing the shalom of God to our neighbors. And I want to give you just a, a few brief glimpses of how that happens. I read about a man in Seattle. He's a funeral director. And out of his Christian conviction, he's also a veteran, he would go down to the city morgue and he would find the remains of veterans who had died but had been unclaimed by any family by any friends these were people many times who had become homeless and indigent and basically forgotten so this man goes down to the city morgue and he claims those ashes and sees to it that these fallen veterans received the dignity of a full military burial. Each and every one of them. He says that for him, it is a reverent, sacred duty. I would say he's being an instrument of shalom. I heard about the most remarkable football game down in Texas. It's a high school football game down in Texas. Y'all know how serious Texans take their football, right? It was a game between Grapevine Faith High School, a Christian high school, and Gainesville State School. And what was so strange, what was so different about this football game, is that the the Gainesville team had 200 fans in their bleachers from the Grapevine side who were cheering for them. Who were rooting them on. In fact, even before the game, those fans from Grapevine made a, uh, what do you call those? You know, one of like the, the hallways of all the fans coming out there so that the team could run through. And the, the Gainesville fans are running through this and they're like, what is happening here? See, nobody ever rooted for the Gainesville team. Because the Gainesville State School was a team of juvenile delinquents. They had never won a game. They had scored two touchdowns all season, and nobody ever rooted for them. And so the coach of this this Christian high school got this idea. What if we came out in force and rooted this team on so that we could make it clear to them that every single human being in the sight of God is filled with inestimable value and worth? The Gainesville team still lost by like three touchdowns, but at the end, all the players dumped Gatorade on the coach and they were cheering like they had won the Super Bowl. Why? Because they had been beneficiaries of Shalom, that high school football team. I'll give you one more. I've got a great children's book that I love to read with the kids called Miss Rumpheus. And Miss Rumphius had three things in life that she wanted to do. The first thing was to travel to faraway places, and she did. The second thing was to move by the sea, and she did. But the third thing, the third thing is what her grandfather told her she had to do in her lifetime, which was to make the world a little more beautiful. And so Miss Rumphius spread lupine flowers all over her town, and over time she made it still more and more beautiful. I think about that, and I think about how in our own community, in our own church, we've got all sorts of of Miss and Mr. See, I like to take uh, the dog and take the kids for a walk, and as I walk down Lake Street here, there's the little triangle garden, and there's the sign that says, The Arcadia Garden Club, given in honor of Davina Schneider. And I I see Connie there and I'll embarrass her. Connie and her work of beautifying our historical museum and also, even though it's on the down low, helping with making our church yet more beautiful and in keeping with the the good things that God's people in the past have done here. As I look out here, I see the Sheppelmans and all the beautiful work that you guys have done in our church and in our yard. We have so many Miss and Mr. Rumpheuses in our community who are instruments of shalom, even if you haven't known it striving to make our community a more beautiful place. And somebody would say, well, wait a second, they don't necessarily know that you're Christians or that you're doing that by the grace of God and through the power of the Spirit. And I would say, that's okay, that's okay. But it might open a door and create an opportunity for us to speak that word of what Christ has done for us. Why it is that we strive to serve and to share God's shalom. We say it each and every Sunday. We receive the peace, the shalom of Christ. And we pass that peace to one another. But what if we thought of it instead as sharing the shalom with each other? We share his shalom in here, that we might do it out there. As those who have been restored and reconciled to God. Through the shalom work of Christ for you. Amen. And may the shalom of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.